Hello, and welcome to the White Rabbit's Come Follow Me podcast. My name is Jennifer Lee Barris, your host, and I am looking forward to sharing some highlights inspired by this week's reading of 2 Nephi um, chapters 1 through 2. What would you say to your family if your time was short and you wanted to help them live their best lives? Lehi is growing old and gathers his big family around him to teach and hopefully influence them. He reminds them of how close they came to being swallowed up in the sea because of rebelliousness. He also told them how merciful God had been to them to lead them safely out of Jerusalem. In verse 4 it says, For behold, said he, I have seen a vision in which I know that Jerusalem is destroyed, and had we remained in Jerusalem, we should also have perished. Verse 5. But said he, notwithstanding our afflictions, we have obtained a land of promise, a land which is choice above all other lands, a land which the Lord God hath covenanted with me should be a land for the inheritance of my seed. Yea, the Lord hath covenanted this land unto me and to my children forever, and all those who should be led out of other countries by the hand of the Lord. How sweet it must have been for Lehi to know that some of his descendants would live in the promised land forever. Well, now that I am getting a little older, I like to think more about my posterity. My greatest desires are for their security, success, happiness, and righteousness. Now Lehi goes on to talk about the covenant of the promised land. Number one, the land is consecrated unto the people God will bring to it. And the word consecrated means having been made or declared sacred. The promised land is a sacred land for the people God leads to it. Number two, If the people he brings here keep the commandments he gives them, it will be a land of liberty and another nation will not overcome them. Number three, if the people break the commandments of Jesus Christ, or in other words, live lives of wickedness, the land shall be cursed for these people. Number four, However, righteous people who live the commandments of Jesus Christ and serve him will always be blessed in this promised land forever. This is true even though others will be cursed. Number five. If the people who live in the promised land keep the commandments of Jesus Christ, they will prosper The traditional definition of the word prosper means to succeed in material terms or be financially successful. I personally believe that prospering can also mean any good blessing God wants to bestow upon us. Number six, 
These righteous people are promised that their land of inheritance will remain theirs and not be taken away from them. Instead, they shall dwell safely forever. Aren't these the blessings that all good people want? Safety, security, prosperity, and freedom to live beautiful lives in a sacred land? Now, I just have to think, uh, comment on some of these First of all, when I have traveled across the United States, hiked in the mountains, gone to the rivers, seen the oceans, flown over and seen all the lakes and the mountains, I am in awe. It's, it feels like a sacred experience to me. When Joseph Smith was marching with Zion's camp from Ohio to Missouri, he wrote a letter to his wife, Emma, dated June 4th, 1834. And here's an excerpt. And I included this because he he kind of alludes to that feeling (laughs) that I have. I love this country so much. He said in his letter about their journey, The whole of our journey in the midst of so large a company of social, honest, and sincere men wandering over the plains of the Nephites, recounting occasionally the history of the Book of Mormon, roving over the mounds of that once beloved people of the Lord, picking up their skulls and their bones as proof of its divine authenticity, and gazing upon a country, the fertility, the splendor, and the goodness so indescribable all serves to pass away time unnoticed. This letter describes the area between Ohio and Missouri as the plains of the Nephites. Part of the promised land described in the Book of Mormon could very well be the United States of America. And as I mentioned earlier, driving across the country or even flying over it gives me such a feeling of awe. It is more than majestic in its visual beauty. It feels consecrated. Now here is the rest of the covenant. If these people, and this is the um, the covenant earlier in the, well, in this chapter. If these people, having had the knowledge of the creation of the earth and all men, and having known the great and marvelous works of the Lord, and also knowing the commandments, reject the Holy One of Israel, the Messiah, even Jesus Christ, they will face judgments. Verse 11. Yea, he will bring other nations unto them, and he will give unto them power, and he will take away from them the lands of their possessions, and he will cause them to be scattered and smitten. By breaking the commandments and rejecting Jesus Christ, people will be breaking the covenant of the promised land and lose all the blessings associated with it, prosperity, freedom, safety, and the land of inheritance. Some other nation will get the land and it will be taken by force with a lot of bloodshed. Does this apply to people today? Well, the Book of Mormon is for our day. We can receive the same blessings that were promised to Lehi's descendants. Maybe many of the blessings can come to us even if we don't live in a specific location in the world. Say we live in 
Mongolia, and we don't have that covenant with Mongolia. The Lord hasn't made a covenant with that land. But because of righteousness, people can be individually blessed. Lehi goes on to talk about the situation that has vexed his family for decades. This is the problem of rebellion and hard hearts in his very own family. I love how Lehi never gives up. He never stops trying. I like remembering that in the end, the Lamanites are the group that survived and they were Lehi's descendants too. In the end, many of the Lamanites will and have already accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ and are being blessed greatly for their righteousness as promised. I have a few ancestors with mixed heritage, English ancestry and the Wampanoag tribe from the Massachusetts area. Alva Alexander joined the church in its early days. His son Henry also joined the church and eventually married a lady of German-Austrian heritage named Mary Marsteller. They were married in the Nauvoo Temple in February 1846, right before they were driven out of their beloved city of Nauvoo with the other saints. This is the time when Brigham Young was there day and night administering the temple endowment to people. And I love knowing that they were there. In a covered wagon on the plains of Iowa at Council Bluffs, Mary gave birth to their first child, a son who they named Charles. She died and is buried somewhere near winter quarters. This was a tragedy in Henry's life. Charles was their one surviving son. His father, Henry, remarried and traveled to Utah with his young son, Charles, and new wife and children. Henry faithfully served in the church for the rest of his life. When I look at the photos of Alva and Henry, I can see their Native American features. So I, and and I showed this to my daughter-in-law who also has Native American heritage. And I said, asked her, do these look like they really have Native American heritage? And she said, yes, they do. She grew up in Oklahoma, so she knew with all those different tribes in the area and reservations. It warms my heart to know that when they heard the restored gospel taught to them and read the Book of Mormon, it rang true to their souls. It has only been a few years since I discovered more about these wonderful people, and I am grateful for the goodness of their lives. So they're probably literal descendants of Lehi. And I just think that is such an amazing connection for me. Lehi continues talking about the covenant the Lord has made with with his family. Verse 20. And he hath said that, Inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. But inasmuch as ye will not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off 
from my presence. And I would say presence, that means a spiritual death, not getting the blessings, not living in this golden life that Heavenly Father wants to bless them with. Lehi really is trying hard to help his sons Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and the sons of Ishmael understand the importance of righteous living and tells them to appreciate all that their brother Nephi has done for them in helping them survive in the wilderness. He tells them to hearken to the voice of Nephi and that if they will do this, they won't perish. However, if they don't listen to and follow Nephi, then his first blessing will rest upon Nephi. Nephi is recording all of this, you know, and really doesn't say much about his blessing. Now Lehi doesn't forget Zoram, the servant of Laban, complimenting him on being forever, or through thick and thin, a friend or a true friend to Nephi. This is what Lehi promises Zoram in verse 31. Wherefore, because thou hast been faithful, thy seed shall be blessed with his seed, that they dwell in prosperity long upon the face of this land, and nothing save it shall be iniquity among them shall harm or disturb their prosperity upon the face of this land forever. Verse 32. Wherefore, if ye shall keep the commandments of the Lord, the Lord hath consecrated this land for the security of thy seed with the seed of my son. Now, isn't Zoram the hidden figure in this story? Wouldn't it be nice to know what he did that garnered him such high praise from Lehi? He reminds me of the people described in a recent conference talk entitled, in the path of their duty. We know that Zoram was probably a trusted servant of Laban because he had the privilege of opening his treasury. To gain this trust, he most likely had an established career where he had worked for many years for Laban. Eventually, Zoram, out in the wilderness, married the oldest daughter of Ishmael, which indicates that he was, out of the group, one of the older men, eligible bachelors. (laughs) Zoram must have admired Nephi for his courage and faithfulness, fully understanding what he did in getting the brass plates and really how dangerous that was. In all of this, he just decided to be on team Nephi and trust in what he was doing and saying. The The trust probably took many forms of kindness along their journey, most likely the kind of person who in a pioneer setting would be at the end of the wagon train to Utah, choking on the dust and not complaining about it. In modern times, he probably would be someone who would come early and set up the chairs. Maybe a modern day Zoram would willingly welcome children into his home and work to provide for them as well as teach them the gospel and take his turn walking the fussy baby in the hall on Sunday. There are many other Zoram-like people described in President Bednar's wonderful recent talk, In the Path of Their Duty. He says of these individuals, 
I am grateful for millions of church members who today are coming unto the Savior and pressing forward on the covenant path in the last wagons of our contemporary wagon trains and who truly are no less serviceable. Your strong faith in Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and your unpretentious, consecrated lives inspire me to be a better man and disciple. I love you. I admire you. I thank you. And I commend you. I love what I love how President Bednar said that. If you are one of these good people walking in the path of your duty, which I'm sure you are, I hope you give yourself some credit and feel happier, even better than happy, joyful about what you are doing. I've heard that a honeybee only produces a quarter teaspoon of honey in their entire lifespan. So it obviously takes a lot of bees working to provide honey on your breakfast toast, but how sweet it is. Like the honeybee, our, con our contributions may seem small, but they really add up and your influence is greater than you know. In chapter two, Lehi talks to his son Jacob and really expounds the doctrine of agency, teaching about the fall. He tells Jacob that he will be safe with Nephi and will spend his life in the service of God. In verse one, he says, And now, Jacob, I speak unto you. Thou art my firstborn in the wilderness, and behold, in thy childhood thou hast suffered afflictions and much sorrow because of the rudeness of thy brethren. Verse two. Nevertheless, Jacob, my firstborn in the wilderness, thou knowest the greatness of God, and he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. Verse 3. Wherefore thy soul shall be blessed, and thou shalt dwell safely with thy brother Nephi, and thy days shall be sent, spent in the service of thy God. Wherefore I know that thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy Redeemer. For thou hast beheld that in the fullness of time he cometh to bring salvation to men. Jacob apparently has already had a vision of Jesus Christ. There is so much great doctrine in chapter 2. I hope all of you will take time to read it. Going back to verse 2 in the statement that he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain is worth considering. Do you ever look back on your experiences and think about your afflictions? We all have them. You might want to consider how your afflictions have been consecrated or made sacred for your gain. You probably have a lot more understanding and wisdom by going through these things. Maybe you are more compassionate. We all gain from our afflictions. For me, after suffering with sore feet for 25 years, I'm almost pain-free due to recent surgery, which is of this moment, at this moment, um, it's looking good. It looks like it fixed the problem. The surgery was successful. 
and now my fingers are crossed and I'm trying to be a good patient. Although this affliction might only measure as a one on the Richter scale of afflictions, it has taught me to appreciate good feet and the ability to wear shoes without feeling pain. <laughs> I am so grateful to be able to walk pain-free and look forward to exercising, skiing, hiking, backpacking, and riding my horse without the searing pain that used to be the standard. I have much greater compassion for anyone who is crippled and have deep gratitude for the surgeon who gained the knowledge and skills to be able to fix my affliction, which without surgery would have worsened over time. Chapter three isn't in this week's reading, but I just didn't have the heart to leave out the baby brother, Joseph. He was named after his ancestor, Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. Lehi spends a lot of time telling Joseph about his namesake. He talks about another person in the future who will be named Joseph as well, Joseph Smith. In verse 7, Jake, um, Lehi says, Yea, Joseph truly said, Thus saith the Lord unto me, a choice seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and he shall be esteemed highly among the fruit of thy loins, and unto him will I give commandment that he shall do a work for the fruit of thy loins his brethren, which shall be of great worth unto them, even to the bringing of them to the knowledge of the covenants which I have made with thy fathers. And I'm wondering if that little Joseph was looking at his dad and going, what did you just say? <laughs> Good thing Nephi wrote that down. So the ancient Joseph, the one who was sold into Egypt, had a vision about Joseph Smith's mission as the prophet of the restoration. He saw him bringing forth the Book of Mormon and helping to restore the fullness of the gospel on the earth. The most important part of all of this is that he, Joseph Smith, would help the descendants of Lehi understand and participate in sacred covenants. Joseph Smith is a literal descendant of the ancient Joseph. Since Lehi is a descendant of the ancient Joseph, all his descendants are from the ancient Joseph. So, the tribe of Joseph, which was scattered in Europe, a lot of them in England, think of all those converts that came from England, and brought to the United States will help the remnant of the tribe of Joseph, which was brought here through Lehi's family. Have you ever wondered what Joseph Smith was thinking when he translated this verse? Maybe he paused and read the, this verse a few times. It's almost like a movie scene from Back to the Future. Everything is interrelated with the past, present, and future all converging. Right in verse 7, it all comes together. Wow. The Book of Mormon is amazing. 
and so true. I am really grateful for it. And that finishes this week's uh, chat about um, the Book of Mormon. Thanks for listening to the White Rabbits Come Follow Me podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day.